0: Brings me great delight to be here in this room at the Village Church on this evening in June 2020. It wasn't so many nights ago when my wife and I were here with our children and uh, receiving a very loving and uh, kind farewell program right here in this room. And we gathered in the Fellowship Hall, the Family Center, and shared food and hugged one another and shook hands without any social distancing. It's amazing how fast the world changes, but I assure you that with all of the changes that have happened in our world recently, that there are more changes ahead of us than there are behind us, and if there's ever a time when we need to open the scriptures and just as much open our hearts to connect with Jesus and to know the mission that he's given to us and to our churches and to our families, it's now. And I hope that's what you want tonight. My first day on the job in Washington was June 16, or March 16. And on March 16, that first day, I had a a board meeting with one of my churches. And just meeting some of my my new members for the first time. And at the first board meeting, shut down church, shut down prayer meeting, and shut down Sabbath school until there was nothing left to shut down. Actually, it wasn't shut down, it went online. And uh, just a week or two later, we had another board meeting via Zoom and uh, made some decisions then. And I, t- I-, I warned my board that uh, with what's happened, of course, at the beginning of COVID, we didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, there's a, there's a great chance that we're entering into some great economical distress. Tithes, offerings could be down. We don't know. But we had a decision to make, and that was whether we were going to use our money, $5,000, to be part of Hope Awakens with It Is Written. And I, I told my members I was just getting ready, becoming acquainted with, I'd rather die than give up on our mission. Offerings may go down, I don't know what's going to happen, but as, as long as we're alive, we're going to pay for mission, and we're going to pay for evangelism in this church, and it's going to go forward. And that's what I'm preaching about tonight. The title of my message is Time to Leave the Cave, Elijah. And we need to hear a word from the Lord. I invite you to bow your heads before we open the scriptures. Heavenly Father, oh Father, <laughs> you know I've been praying, you've been praying. Tonight, would you move us We don't want to be entrenched and we don't want to just be on the same square we've always been on. We're ready to move and we're ready to go forward. We're ready to to practice and to have new understanding of your sacrifice and of your salvation and of your mission that you have entrusted to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I pulled this first slide off of a, a uh, Facebook page. We'll bring it up here in a minute. And it's the picture of a cave. And it came from Doug Batchelor's uh, Facebook page. And those of you who know his story, Pastor Doug Batchelor, before he was converted, he uh, lived in a cave in Palm Springs. And just a few weeks ago, with his son, he went up into this cave, and he said for the first time in, in 25 years, And uh, he looked at the cave, and a lot of memories there. But he said right there in that post, he says, you know, there's part of me that wishes I could just go back to that cave and stay there. And I read that to myself, and I thought, yeah, me too. But today, this is no time for us to be hiding out in caves. This is no time for us to be hanging out in paradise, building earthly mansions. This is a time where God has called us to the streets, to the cities, to the unreached, to the villages, the highways, the byways, and invite everybody to the wedding banquet. I tell you, when we're hitting some road bumps in our life, that's one thing. But when we hit some road, when the world hits some road bumps, that's a whole nother thing. And recently, the world has has hit some road bumps. This church was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel. To the world. The world is slipping, and everybody knows it. It's hard in today's world to feel like this place is all that secure after all, and our neighbors know it, and we have a message for them. You know, just as we're getting out of this uh, virus thing and trying to climb out of that, then, right, we run into another kind of virus, kind of virus that the World Health Organization can't solve. It's the virus of sin, manifested in cruelty and expressions of bigotry and snobbishness and hatred, elitism, feelings of superiority, called racism. Our world is unwinding. The world needs a savior and the world needs a church that is alive with the love of Jesus in our hearts. Our world is becoming increasingly tribal, and increasingly partisan. We need to humble ourselves before God and before our brothers and sisters so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder and the world can see a different kind of love, a love that can come from God alone. Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. That's the kind of love that the church needs now, that the world needs now kind of love that only God can give. Do we have a mission or not? Has God given us a purpose to live for and to pursue or no? We're going to be reading through uh, some of the scriptures tonight. And if I don't have them on their screen, you can look them up in your Bibles that you have with you or listen to them as I read them. We are going to be looking at the life of a man who is the preeminent example of God's mission for the last day church. His name is Elijah. We know so from Malachi 4 and verse 5. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Before the second coming, Jesus is going to send a ministry that is going to parallel the ministry of Elijah which is why we're going to look at Elijah's ministry tonight. Now, there's three Elijah ministries in the Bible. There's the Old Testament prophet Elijah, and then there's a New Testament prophet that Jesus called Elijah. That was John the Baptist. And then there's end-time Elijah. And as we study historical Elijahs, we understand what the third Elijah is supposed to be all about. When Jesus saw John the Baptist, he said, if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now, some people might wonder, well, does that mean that is John the Baptist the reincarnation of Old Testament Elijah? Well, no. Some people wondered that too. Elijah denied it, or John the Baptist, he said in John 1 and verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. So Jesus said he was Elijah but John the Baptist said, no, I'm not Elijah. Why the contradiction? It's not hard to solve when you understand the words of the angel in Luke 1:17, Speaking of the baby that was to be born, John, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people for the Lord. The mission of John the Baptist, was to prepare the church and the world for the first coming of Jesus. It didn't go as well as we would like. It's kind of a disappointing story. But many responded. And that is the mission of God's people today and those that hold the three angels' message and of the Seventh-day Adventist church to prepare a church and a world for the second coming of Jesus. And we are to go forward in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to make a people ready. There are many parallels between Old Testament Elijah and New Testament Elijah. Both of them arose in a time of backsliding. Elijah, when he confronted King Ahab, the nation had had slidden, backslidden into idolatry. They wanted to be like all the nations around, their practices and their habits. And the, the worship of Jehovah fell into disrepair. Elijah confronted King Ahab. God's not going to send rain. And the judgments fell, and it was year after year, and it got drier and it got drier. And people were praying and they were calling out, but they weren't calling out to God. Some of them were crying out to ba- uh, Baal when Elijah finally con- confronted Ahab, and the king was indignant. Are you, Elijah, that troubler of Israel? It was a confrontational ministry. And Elijah was ready for him. He said, I'm not the trouble of Israel, but you are because you have forsaken the commandments of God. Elijah's mission was to call people back to true worship according to the commandments. And so he summoned not only the king and his aides, but the whole nation onto Mount Carmel. And they went up there. He said, we can both do it. We'll call to our gods. Whosoever answers by fire, he is God. The shrieking and the yelling and the cutting was so loud that the crowd retreated, went on all day long. When Elijah finally stepped forward, he invited the people to come near. The the altar of the Lord was broken down. It was a symbol of the spiritual condition of the people. We have a lot of broken down altars today too. We need some people who will be repairers of the breach today just like in the days of Elijah. We need some fathers who will get their family together and, and, and teach them the Bible stories one more time and pray with their children. And Elijah put these stones on and he repaired this altar and he drew the people near. And he didn't have to shout and scream like the others did that were calling on Baal. Called out to God like he did every time his father. And the Lord answered from heaven by fire. It was the great showdown. It's going to happen again. It's going to wake people up. Both John the Baptist and Elijah were in a time of backsliding. Both rebuked a wicked king. For John the Baptist, it was Herod. And he lost his life for it. Both were persecuted by a queen, Jezebel and Herodias. Herodias on the run. Both had a special focus towards the other nations and the other languages, the Gentiles. Elijah was with the the widow that fed him. John the Baptist was along the river Jordan. The, The Roman soldiers listened to him and repented. Both defended the commandments. One, the second commandment and idolatry. The other, the seventh commandment when he rebuked King Herod and the others as he spoke. Both were a simple lifestyle. Now you know that John the Baptist, he wore camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. It was in contrast with James talks about the gold rings, the, the rich robes, and the, the show that everybody was used to when they came to assemble. John the ba- Elijah, did you know that his, his simple lifestyle was also pointed out in Scripture? It says in 1 Kings, he was a First, Second Kings one eight. He was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt. It was his lifestyle was a rebuke to the people around. Does this sound like anything that Seventh Day Adventists, our message that we've been called to give, is? Does this sound like our our, our lifestyle that is to be characterized by simplicity and contrast with the show and ostentatious character of the world? But Elijah was translated to heaven. John the Baptist gave up his life. Died a martyr's death. These two men, the symbol of, of God's people and the last days. But the story I'm looking at tonight's not at the height of, of Elijah's ministry. After he after the great showdown at Mount Carmel, when he had called the people. They said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, He is God. He'd been preparing for three and a half years for this moment. And now he ran before the king back to Jezreel. And he's back, he's in Jezreel, this moment that had been waiting a long time coming. Confrontation with Jezebel. But when he received the word that just as she had killed the other prophets of the Lord, she had the same plans for him. Terror overtook him. And he jumped up. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran. And he kept on running. This moment of discouragement seized Elijah. And after a great victory for the Lord on Mount Carmel, we have a great missing story in the Bible. I would like to know what would have happened if Elijah would have stayed in Jezreel. What would have happened when he confronted Jezebel? How would have the Lord saved his life? We'll never know because he was overtaken in a moment of weakness by fear. And he ran. It's a story we'll never know. Instead of a story of great victory and of what should have been the climax of what had been waiting for three and a half years, it became a story of a man on the run, but of a very patient and merciful God. How many of our own stories have we missed out on? Because we're on the run. We're headed to our caves. I've been thrilled night by night as I've listened here at camp meeting by the stories of faith that have been read and those that have been displayed on the video. People putting what they can into the work of the Lord. I'm telling you, the days are ahead of us. We won't have to be searching hard for testimonies, for faith-building stories. God has a load of them ready to give us if we wouldn't run away from the mission that God has given to us. So 1 Kings 19, it's a painful chapter. I think I think the book, this book would have been 1 Kings 19. Would have been a little bit longer. There would have been a few extra chapters if he would have stayed in his mission. There would have been so much to tell. He ran his life. He escaped Jezreel. And he went to the cave. A long, long ways. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Have you ever been that discouraged? Not the first one. Said it is enough. Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. It ends up being a beautiful story after all because of the mercy of the Lord, when we go so low, God is still willing and able to reach us and to pull us back up. Are you glad? <laughs> Wouldn't be any hope otherwise? Elijah ran, ran, and ran 250, 60 miles, depending on his route, all the way down to Horeb. 40 days, running and running and running, thinking and thinking, why, why, why me? How did this happen? He goes down there and he finds a cave. One of my good friends took this picture and he's in Saudi Arabia, Andrew Jones, and he let me use this picture and Elijah hunkered down right there, waiting. We didn't have to wait long. The Lord found him in that cave. What are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah stammers out some kind of response. I'm all alone. They've killed all the prophets, but me, they want to take my life too. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here at this cave now? I'm alone. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. The Lord listens to him. The Lord responds to Elijah. He says, go and return. Go back. Go back to Jezreel, where you should have been this whole time. Any of you have any Jezreels? Any places? Where is the place that God has called you to be? The mission that you know that God has called you to do but you ran long enough until you forgot about it. God will come back around. He'll find you. Back to the mission that he has called you to do. What about your caves? Do you have any? I mean, this is a Jonah moment. Jonah ran from God too. The Lord somehow has a way of finding us. He calls Elijah back. So are you right now where God has called you to be? Are you doing what God right now tonight, are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you speaking what God has called you to speak? Do you know what God has called you to do? Are you aware of uh, of what God has asked you to do? And are you doing it? Or have you created excuses? Have you become discouraged? And are you hiding in a cave? I want to tell you, friends, God sent COVID. There's not very many things in this world that God has sent, or the devil, or anybody that has affected the whole world like this has, but it's been for the church. It's time to wake up. Do you just want to go back to business as usual? Do you, want to, do you actually want to stop and think and talk to the Lord tonight? And do you want to be on a new path and on the way back to the mission that God has called you to? 2020 is no time to be running from God. If you've been running to God, it's time tonight to turn, to listen, and to follow. This is no time to be hanging out in our caves. I know we love our caves. God needs us to go visit somebody and we would rather go home. Climb in our cave and visit ourselves. God needs us to go share some literature, and we'd rather be home reading our own books. Somebody needs a helping hand, we'd rather go home, work on our own projects. Some evening, there's a lonely person needing encouragement, waiting for somebody to come. Talk to them. But we have our hobbies and our priorities. Can't wait another night? Some evening there's a confused person needing somebody to come, open the scriptures, and explain them to them. We got our projects waiting for us. It's possible for them to wait another night. What is your cave? Where do you go? Your cave is the place you hang out when you should be doing your mission. When your life is out of balance, your cave is where you spend too much of your free time. I want to talk to you about free time for a minute here. If you want to understand your mission, your priorities, and where you yourself are at, examine your free time. Is your life out of balance? And what is balance? Giving proper attention to each area. We have four evenings between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in the middle of the week. What do we do with those evenings? Are they all the same? Are we hiding in our cave? Are we just taking care of, of our place and our things every single evening? We got to do that. But there's more evenings in the, in the week left. What are you doing with the rest of the evenings? Sometimes we have work. We have jobs. We have to make money. Sometimes work bleeds over into the evenings. And we got to work late, 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 late in tonight, Are you doing it every night? There's evenings left. Let me tell you, there's seasons for something. Proverbs says, cursed is the sun that sleeps during harvest. It's okay to have evenings where you're working late nights every night. But it's not okay if it goes on and on and on all year long. Your life is out of balance. Something's out of whack. I agree with Haskell, and he used to preach over 100 years ago to the Adventists, and the farmers, they said, we have too too much farming. Can't give Bible studies. He says, if you don't have enough time to give Bible studies one evening a week, then sell 40 acres of your farm and give Bible studies one evening a week. We got to get our exercise, and we do our recreation with our friends, and we play basketball every night of the week. Are we practicing every single night? What have we left for God? Have we reduced our religious practice, our study of the Word, our witnessing, our Bible studies, our praying together? Have we reduced it down to one or two hours on Sabbath morning? And we can get out of balance in all kinds of areas. How are you using your free time? Every single one of these circles of relationships that I have on the screen are ones that need your attention and your love. You need to spend time taking care of yourself with nobody else around, but you better not spend your whole life there. Your family needs your attention and your love. You need to take your family out and you need to build memories like with them, doing fun things in the summer and all other times they'll never forget. If that's all you ever do, you, your life is out of balance. Your church needs your attention, your influence, your time, your energy, and your talents, your community around you the strangers that are nearby in your neighborhood, and the strangers across the world because God has given us a global mission. So yes, some of us have gotten out of balance in our life with the mission that God has given us because we never see our family. We are so committed to the mission and we are grinding away so much doing what God wants us to do. Our families, our first mission fields are neglected. That can go on for a season, a month or two. It better not go on all year long or your life is out of balance. But forgive me if I'm wrong. Some, I, I'm afraid maybe there's more of us, our life is out of balance the other way. Spend a lot of time doing the things we want to do, totally neglecting the mission field that God has called us to spend time and attention with our own free time outside of ourselves and outward focus. God has called us to a mission. What's the goal? Every member of the church, every week, doing ministry, with your time and with your talents, pushing it forward. We're not going to reach the finish line with the work of the the pastors and the administrators alone. It's going to be everybody coming together, every member. The General Conference calls it total member involvement. Every member in the Lake region, in the Lake Union, we have, we have uh, called it commission culture. I'm talking every member embracing the commission that God has called us to do. Not just what we're comfortable doing, what we're uncomfortable doing, accepting the call and going. Every week, every member doing ministry, What does it mean to do ministry? When I say to do ministry, one person will have a completely different picture in their mind of what I'm saying when I say doing ministry than another person. Jesus gave us some templates. And in Matthew, you have both. What kind of ministry should we do? And in Matthew 25, he gave the parable. It's the one that we're going to be judged by. We're going to answer the question, how we've responded to these people in need. It's to feed the hungry. It's to to give water to the thirsty. To bring the stranger home. To clothe the naked. To visit the sick. To visit the incarcerated. This is servant ministry. It's meeting the felt needs. It's disinterested benevolence. It's compassion ministry. It's medical ministry. It's healing ministry. What was Jesus' example when you read the Gospels? It was healing And it was teaching. It's defending the poor. It's helping the marginalized. When you get to the commission in Matthew 28, to go into all the world, to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. This ministry of evangelism is a a ministry of proclamation. We have a message it's a ministry of words, whereas the first one is a ministry of action. It's a ministry of witnessing, Bible studies, sermons, sharing media. And I find that so many of us gravitate to one area of these others, and it, I don't know why, becomes so hard for us to blend these ministries and people who are investing their their lives and doing actions and helping people and helping them feel better and improving their situation become very cynical of of people that are using words and teaching the gospel and, and sharing the gospel and people who are distributing the message and mailing books and everything else are dismissive of the uh, of the ministries it's below them to go out and help somebody, when it can be easier to mail a community with your mailings and with your books and actually go out and roll up your sleeves and get to know the people. And we divide into these two camps when I believe in the last days and the future before us, there's going to be a blending of these two ministries unlike anything we've ever seen. God is going to show us what it means to minister to our world. There's going to be burdens laid on us. There's going to be passions and dreams we've never thought of. God wants me to do it. I have to do this. And when he does, we have to respond. We've had well-polished ministries for long enough. Our hearts need to be broken up. We need the Holy Spirit to be poured in. We don't need pastors that get gold medals or churches because of their well-tuned, finely-tuned ministries, we need a rugged kind of Christianity again, one that Ellen White calls a primitive godliness, one that Jesus calls a childlike faith, that our hearts would break for hurting people around us, and that we would do something about it, because once our hearts break for the world around us, we and we begin to sacrifice for those in need, we begin to understand the sacrifice of Jesus more than ever before. We don't understand the gospel because we we don't follow in his footsteps. We don't make the great sacrifices that Jesus made. Once we lay down our lives for the brethren, we'll understand what it meant when Jesus laid down his life for us. By this, all men will know By this you will know love, because he laid down his life, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, verse 16. Do we have a mission? Do we have a purpose? How do we measure ourselves? Have we accomplished our mission if we come to church and sit in a pew an hour or two a week, if we go home and we eat our veggies, have we accomplished our mission? Is that all there is to being a Seventh-day Adventist? If we enroll our children in church school, put them in Pathfinders, let it go, have have we accomplished our mission then? If we don't drink and smoke or curse or swear, neither do our children, have we accomplished our mission then? When have we accomplished our mission? Has God just put us here to spend our weekends traveling and seeing people and enjoying ourselves? Has He just put us here just to spend all our evenings on our hobbies? Has He put us here just to spend all of our free time on ourselves and our extra money on our own stuff? We have a mission to live for. God has called us to do something. It's time in 2020 that we go deeper. We have to go beyond where we've ever been before, folks. We have to carry this movement beyond where previous generations have gone. We have to have a, re- a renaissance of Adventist mission. We have to understand the ministry of Jesus like never before and go forward. You know how I know? We're still here. We're still learning. We have, if we do what we've always done, nothing is going to change. And When this mission spirit, when we come out of our caves and our families and God converts our hearts and breaks us, it's going to be different in our churches. It's going to be different on our church boards. Our church boards need to be engines of mission and evangelism, planning how to carry out the ministry that Jesus gave us. If your church board spends more time managing risk and liability than advancing mission... You need a culture change. You need leadership. It needs redirected. We've gotta go for it. Our schools were established for a mission. We need mission alignment. Listen to the messages from Jeremy Hall this morning and this week. If our schools fail to produce thinking reformers and missionaries, we're failing in our mission. Our schools were established to train young people for a mission. Schools are supposed to prepare a generation who has backbone and who's ready to stand strong when the mark of the beast is enforced in this world as the Bible has told us it will be. Our schools need to prepare people who will keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus when the whole world is against the law of God. There's plenty to do. There's places for you to step in and get involved. There's ministries to merge with. There's ministries happening. There's missions that need to be opened up. We need pioneers again. You don't have to go far, some need to go far. There's all the ministries in your church, and there's health ministries, and there's children's, and there's youth ministries, and there's Pathfinders, and there's Adventures, and there's Vacation Bible School. And our youth need our special attention. They're a mission field. I'm giving a seminar tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning on youth ministries. My churches that I just begin pastoring just begin streaming when COVID began. We need media, uh, media ministry today like never before. Somebody told me in the book of Acts, God sent persecution into Jerusalem to disperse the disciples so they were, would go to the world with the gospel like they were supposed to. Today, he sent COVID into the world to force the church to go online like we were supposed to be a long time ago. Our culture, the way it is now, people don't want to visit church until they can visit online, unless maybe they know somebody personally. It's just too scary. They want to be able to spy on you online from the comfort of their own home, and then after they are, are won over by something, they want to come visit. We have to use every single method and means to broadcast our message like never before. The printing press was used for the Protestant Reformation. Let's make the internet used for the three angels' messages. Oh, the lines will be cut sometime when religious liberty is diminished, but let's use it while we can. We need all hands on deck. We need music ministry. It means something. What the music that happens in the room? Use your skills. Adventist Community Services, it's strong in Michigan. Get involved. Do what you can. There's prison ministry we just heard about this morning. Don't just stand there. Do something. There's a world waiting. Teaching ministry. There's people who need the scriptures explained to them in a classroom and at their homes. Bible studies. Maybe the, the, the most diminished of all of our ministries, perhaps. People who will train and who will go. I want to understand the mission of Jesus tonight because his mission is our mission. When Jesus came to the world, he gave his mission statement more than once. In Luke 19, verse 10, it's recorded in this way. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to, and there's more than one of these. This is the first one I have on the screen. The Son of Man has come to do something. It was to seek and to save the lost. When the Spirit of God comes into you, You do the same thing, and you go out into a hostile world, and you seek, and you save the lost. Mark highlights the mission of Jesus in Jesus' own words in another time. Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He came to serve. He was outward focused. It wasn't about Himself. What about your own life? What about your own life? budget, and your own time, and your own skills, and your own influence. If you have these skills and you use them all for yourself, we've missed the mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve and not be served. His strategy was to both heal and to teach and to preach. Before he left, he told his disciples and he told us in John 20 verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As Jesus has done ministry, we are to do ministry. As he went, we are to go. Mark 16, verse 15. I want to read to you what he told his disciples before he left. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You probably all know this. And it's time to hear it again and to think about it with our hearts. It's a worldwide mission And it's to preach the gospel into all the world. I'm going to read to you two more verses. They're going to have the same elements. Preaching the gospel and the whole entire world. But these last two verses are in an end time context. Matthew 24 and verse 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That is our, our mission, and it's global. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7 puts on all the details that we need to know for our in-time mission. And it matches the ministry of Elijah and John the Baptist. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Do you have a burden for them? What are you doing with that burden? Saying with a loud voice, Fear God. And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Second angel's message is to come out of Babylon. Third angel's message, strong warning to avoid the mark of the beast. It's coming back to God. We have a message that the world needs to hear. I want to talk to some different age groups tonight, some different life stages. You need to embrace the mission tonight. You need to move. You need to turn. It's it's enough of just floating through life like everybody around us. It's time to do something different. It's time to break it up and to do something different for our students. What are you doing in the summer? Going and traveling and getting exercise and recreation and having fun. I hope so. Take your families, do it. Go for it. Your summers, are you advancing your degree? Are you studying? Are you taking classes? That'd be great. Go for it. But you know, a teenager, and then you get into young adults in your 20s, you have a handful of summers. I tell you, my appeal for you tonight is to make some of them do something different, radical, and make it all about mission. Take a summer. When you get older, you work all summer long, too. I hate to break it to you. And make it about God. Take literature door to door. Join one of the programs. Work in our summer camps. Pray for your campers. Go out to Montana. Be part of Extreme Bible Workout. Make your summers count for God. Develop the culture when you're a teenager that your life is about mission. Do something daring, bold, risky, radical. Whatever God has called you to do. You can take time a year off in school as well. Just received, uh, receiving several missionaries. One of them just arrived in Spokane, volunteering 12 months to the mission to the cities in Spokane. I believe it's happening in the village church as well. People, you can set aside, your graduation can wait. You can make a signal to your family. And if you have young people wanting to do this, don't discourage them. One of my friends I grew up with, his dad, he wanted to do it. And his dad said, no, you need to go to community college. He wouldn't let him go. He wanted to go for a year to do mission. His dad stopped and said, you got to go to community college. He went to community college, got a girlfriend, texted his parents, got married, out of faith, boom, bounced. Don't squash the convictions of your young people. Don't play with them. And in the middle of your life, when your career means everything, I want to talk to you about vacation time. It's back to the free time. Go out and see the great sights of the world. You want to travel all over the U.S. and see the great national parks with your children? Do it. If you want to travel to Europe and see whatever you can see, do it. Go. Some psychologists say that half of the uh, mental, emotional benefit of a vacation is the anticipation. But let your kids know when you're saving money for trips that your life is also about mission, Take your family on a mission trip. Pathways to health, I have a picture thereof. Take some of the time. I know you only have so much vacation time for work. It's okay, you can make a sacrifice. Give this signal to your children. The savings, the time away from work, it's about mission sometimes too. It's time we bring our lives into balance. And the last life stage I'm addressing is the golden years. I'm telling you folks, I'm all about the church growing young. But the elderly, we need you engaged more than ever before. We need your influence. We need those who have lived life a little. I can't tell you what it means to me as I pastored here the last five years, and I'd come out of a staff meeting or leave church, and some of you right here, old enough to be my grandfather, put a a hand on my shoulder and let me know. You care for me and for my wife and for my children or somebody will look at me and smile, let me know how much they appreciate. I mean, you don't know how much that means. The church needs your influence. It needs your life. How are we going to understand the mission before us if we don't know a little bit about the ground we've covered already? I put these two scriptures pictures on the screen because your grandchildren need you. Tell them the stories of your faith and of your family and of the things that have happened in your life. T- teach them to your grandchildren. Don't let them go along without them knowing why you're a Seventh-day Adventist and why you have faith and your church needs your influence. And in those golden years when you write your will and you write your estate, let that will and that estate be an expression of the mission that you've believed in all along. Let your family be there where it needs to be there, your grandchildren need to be, but put God where it needs to be and that your ministry can go on even after your death. Peter Greer, in his book Mission Drift, said too often the passions of the first generation become the preferences of the second generation and are irrelevant to the third generation. Ouch. Ouch. We need to understand those that have gone before us like never before. Go to the ABC sale. Buy up the biographies. Understand the people that have covered the ground. On the airplane on the way here, I just finished the book about C.D. Brooks, the man behind the message. Uh, he faced some difficulty in church. It wasn't all, all smooth in church. He faced challenges, but nothing distracted him from the, from the mission. There's stories of racism in that book, but boy, he, he teamed up with uh, Elder Neil Wilson. Together, they knocked down all kinds of walls, and nothing got, got in the way of the mission. It just a few years ago, Elder Brooks at Elder Wilson's, Neil Wilson's funeral said, he was the greatest man I ever knew. One story and another of God working miracles in that book teach the stories to your children. How will we understand the mission going forward if we don't understand the mission behind us? I'm going to fast forward some of these slides. Our commitment to mission, if you look at the numbers, it's dwindling. You can understand, if you go look at the mission, the giving to churches, to tithes and offerings, we need a new commitment to mission. This is my closing paragraph. Oh, I pray as I read this, and you're probably already reading it on the screen, I pray that you're willing to embrace it and to move. It's the words of Ellen White, of and Harold, July 21, 1896, second paragraph of the article. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God which lightens this whole earth with His glory will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. When we have an entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of His Spirit without measure. But this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not labors together with God. The Spirit of God is waiting. The Spirit of God is waiting for the church until the larger part of the church is labors with Him. Full-hearted consecration to the work. We need every hand on deck. We need a new commitment. The story comes right here from Berrien Springs. Recapturing the spirit of an Adventist pioneers today, Passion and Purpose and Power by James Nix, right here in Berrien Springs. The story comes from Percy McGann. He's writing a, a letter to Spicer in the 1930s. I often think of the times when my first wife died at Berrien Springs in 1904, he wrote. W.K. Kellogg came to me begged me to quit work and join him in the Cornflakes Company, which at the moment was in the process of organization. He offered me a block of stock, $10,000 worth at par value, $10,000 worth in 1904. He wanted me to take charge of stock sales and offered me a commission on all I sold with a permanent place in the company when this work was done. That $10,000 of stock would be worth today somewhere in the neighborhood of $1 million. He wrote this in 1930. And of course, trading on that, I could have made it probably three or four million. The offer, in a way, was tempting, but I remember well spending the greater part of a night under a maple tree at Old Berrien. Then, in the process of its own birth, and talking the whole matter over with the master, and as the morning light broke, I had decided that in spite of all difficulties with brethren, I must stick to this message and give whatever time and talents I have to making of Adventists rather than to the making of (laughs) cornflakes. Nothing wrong with making cornflakes unless God has called you to make Adventists and to do something different. There's nothing wrong with being a fisherman until Jesus comes along and calls you to be a fisher of man. And when you come to that moment, when you decide what you're going to sacrifice and which way you're going to go, don't forget the words of Jesus. Or what will it, it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's time to leave the cave. I appeal to you tonight with two questions. Where does God want you to go? And what does God want you to do? I want you to think about that during our appeal song. Jeremy sings and Grant plays the cello. I put my contact information on the screen because I've been missing so much contact with people during COVID and many of you are online and you're not here to shake my hand and so you can send me a message. If you're wrestling, if you want to send a word of response, my number and my email on the screen. As you listen to this song, this song is a prayer and it's my prayer that the words of this song will be your prayer as well. If you need to fold your hands, if you need to close your eyes, do whatever you do. Make the words of this song your prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, tonight we give you our hearts and everything that we have and everything that we are. We don't wanna stay here. We wanna come out of the cave. We're ready to go back to Jezreel, the mission that you've called us to all along. Perhaps, Lord, there's a few people that need to spend a night or two under a maple tree. Don't let them sleep, Lord. Keep them awake. Bring us back to the mission that you have called us to do. Fill us with the Spirit. Turn us loose. Make us alive like never before.